0: Today, I want to share with you something that uh, I feel like is is, is a word from the Lord. I want to talk about dream work. Dream work. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, starting at verse number 9. Solomon writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. In other words, what he's saying here is that when we work together, we're more productive. He says, For if they fall... One will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. And so what he's saying here is, not only when you work together, are you more productive. He said, when you work together, you're more protected. Productive and protective, you know, you can't do those things uh, alone. And then verse number 11, it says, and again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12 Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Would you put your hand on that verse? Let's pray this morning. Lord, today, we ask you to come and speak to our hearts. You've given us a dream. You've given us a vision. You've given us a strategy. You've given us... A plan. You've sent people across our paths to to speak to our hearts and to encourage us and to spur us on for good works and and God, we are here and, and we don't want to just see the vision. We want to be the vision. We want to carry your heart for what you want us to carry out. So, Lord, I pray today that you'd speak to us. I ask for you to strengthen me that you would just give me the strength, Lord, to uh, to speak Lord what you want spoken. I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech, that you'd hide me behind the cross, that, Lord, you might be seen, that I might be hidden. Holy Spirit, overcome every weakness that is in my body today and help me to speak with the anointing so that we might walk out saying, surely the Lord spoke to us in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Within the walls of of this church is a ton of potential. Within the walls of this building are are people that are full of God-given potential. But potential within itself is is, 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 is useless. Potential has to be developed. Developed. And God has given every one of us potential, God-given potential to become everything that he wants us to be and to be able to accomplish everything that he wants us to do. You see, your potential is God's gift to you. What you do with your potential is your gift back to God. Nothing can be more discouraging or, or more heartbreaking than, than for a Christian to live a life without ever knowing or, or fulfilling God's purpose for their life. And if the Scripture makes anything clear, it makes clear that God is a God of purpose. And, and Scripture says that, that within you, if you are born again, Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 20 says, that inside of us is exceeding, abundant, and above all power, the Scripture says, that is at work within us. And so Scripture says that inside of you is this, this potential to be more, Inside of you is this potential to, to, to become more, to accomplish more, to, to, to do things that, that, that you never dreamed would be possible to do. And he says, so there's exceeding and abundant and above all power located inside of us. But the truth is, none of that is actually accessible to us without growth and change. You know, inside of us, you know, the Bible says it is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within us. Everything that God has called you to do is not somewhere out in the distant future, it's not somewhere where you're lost and you're trying to find it. The, the kingdom of God is within us. And most of us, when, when we understand that, that there's that kingdom of God within us, that potential within us, we need to be able to connect with people who have a dream, who have a vision, who can be teachers and trainers and equippers, so they can help bring out of us what God has deposited within us. And God has created all of us in a unique way. You see, what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. You know, God created you a -a one-of-a-kind original. You were custom-made by God and for God. He left no detail to chance. The Bible says that he saw us within our own mother's womb, yet being unformed. And, And so God is saying, you know what? I understand the details of your life. He said all the days of your life were written in a book before any of those days were actually lived out. So God is involved from the beginning and in the middle and in the end. And God is saying, I have purpose for your life. I've given you potential to become more than what you are and accomplish more than you thought you could possibly do. But none of that will happen until, number one, we're willing to grow and change, and number two, until we are willing to work together. Now, growth and change, most people look at that and they think that it's an event. You know, they want to pinpoint a a moment or an event in their life where they can say, this is where everything changed for me. And, And the truth is, there are those moments. Like when you get saved, there's a moment when you surrender everything to God. And in that moment everything changes. But the truth is, when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to following Jesus, there's a moment of surrender, and then there's a moment-by-moment surrendering of your life every single day. It's not a one-time thing. So many people live off of a Sunday morning service, or a feeling, or an emotion, or, or, or just a religious ritual. They feel good. They, they kind of just make their conscious. They feel that, you know, what if I do this, then, then, then maybe this is something that's pleasing to God, but listen, God has so much more in store for your life than you could ever dream or imagine. But when it comes to growth and change, most people think it's an event versus a process. And when it comes to the Christian life, you will spend more time on the journey than you will arriving at a destination. As a matter of fact, the Christian life is not about a destination. The Christian life is, is not about what you accomplish. It is about the person that you become. And somewhere along the way you become something more than what you are. There's a, there's a longing in our hearts for every one of us to do something great for God. We all want to do this. And listen, Jesus talked about greatness. He never, he never rebuked anybody for warning to be great or to do great things. He only rebuked them when they wanted to do that with, without the right motive. In other words, they wanted to draw attention to themselves. And, and so growth and change is not an event. It's, it's a process. And in life, most people overestimate events and underestimate the process. And any time that God wants to impact a city, a state, a nation, whatever it may be, he looks for those that will rise up and completely devote themselves to him and his purpose. Now, I'm going to give you three things that's, that's not in your notes or in your outline that I want to encourage you to write down. I want to, write down, I want to give you three characteristics of a dedicated person. Three characteristics of a dedicated person. You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, searching for a heart that is fully devoted to him. Let me ask you something. If you were to examine your life, if you were to consider your life, would you consider yourself a, a deeply devoted person? You know, would you consider yourself a deeply committed person? If you do, what do you base that upon? And so God is looking for that kind of quality. He's looking for that kind of characteristic. He said he's looking for those that are loyal. He's looking for those that are devoted. He's looking for those that are all in. Because he did say in the gospel, Jesus did, he said, you know what? He who does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. So let me give you three three characteristics of a dedicated person. Number one, a dedicated person is, con- is a concerned person. A dedicated person is a concerned person. Every one of us go through a process. Every one of us go through different levels and different experiences and different processes along our journey. The problem is when we experience a a moment in time, whether it's good or bad, we tend to park right by that and then allow that to define our spirituality, our relationship with God, to allow it to define who we are. We either get stuck or we get bogged down or we get consumed or we get distracted. And so we always try to go back to this point to where... You know, we're wondering. You know. You know. Is this all there is to do? Is this all there is to, to Christianity? Is there? Is this all there is to, to to having a relationship with God? Is just doing this? and we tend to just settle and become satisfied. But a dedicated person is a concerned person. Genuine concern. Listen to this. Genuine concern is always the result of a God given burden. Genuine concern is always the result of a God-given burden. Concern allows you to personally identify with the feelings of others and to become personally involved in meeting the need. When you truly are a concerned person, you carry a burden in your heart for others. When God gives you a burden, he allows you to experience to some small degree that which is on his heart. And then he also, when he places a burden upon you, he allows you to experience that which is on somebody else's part. And so when you're carrying a burden, you're carrying God's heart and somebody else's heart. And your responsibility is to step in and respond. And God wants to use you to meet that need. Concern is more than just uh, just believing or, or, or saying words or talking and saying, you know what, if you, all you do is talk about being concerned, that's not really genuine concern. And so when you have concern for somebody, God has burdened your heart. Now listen to this here. When someone is carrying a God-given burden, it deepens our ownership of the need. Have you ever thought for a moment that that, Which you're praying for and that who you're praying for that you yourself might be the answer to that prayer We tend to think maybe it's somebody else and so we think that their only job is simply to to pray about it And listen prayer is no substitute for obedience I believe in prayer We need to be people of prayer, a church of prayer, devoted to prayer. We need to be a praying people. But listen, we have to go beyond true concern. A genuine burden goes beyond just saying, you know what, I'm concerned about this. It helps you to take ownership of the need that God places on your heart. Now, here's the second thing. A devoted person is a consecrated person. Now, here's the reality. This is the process we go through. A true burden will always lead to genuine brokenness. A true burden will always lead to genuine brokenness. How can we honestly say that we care about a lost and dying world with dry eyes? Let me say that again. How can we honestly say that we are concerned... That we're burdened, that, that, that we're, you know, we're, we're concerned about what's with, with, with dry eyes. How can we honestly say that we care? How can we honestly say that we are concerned? Listen, a true burden from God will produce genuine brokenness in our life. And listen to this. Brokenness always produces compassion. Brokenness always produces compassion. The Bible says when Jesus looked over the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Compassion is an attribute of God. And so brokenness brings us to that place of compassion where we think about and, and, and pray about and, and reach out to those that are hurting. Now here's the problem. We see so much chaos we see so much mess. We see our family members and our friends, our, our county, our city. We see so many people that are drug addicted, so many people that, 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 that are, are out doing their own thing. And, and we can become cynical, and we can become apathetic, and we can become indifferent, and we can develop i just don't give a care attitude so many people listen when you first get saved have you ever did you ever notice the fact that the first thing that happened to you when you got saved is you immediately started thinking about somebody else when you first got saved you immediately begin to consider somebody else that do, does not know jesus you, I mean, that's the natural response. You've been broken, and then God heals your brokenness, and then he puts his heart in you. And Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. But something happens. We start coming to church, and we learn how to do church. And, and you know, we just live off Sunday morning to Sunday morning, and we hear preaching, and we hear singing. But we are completely apathetic, indifferent, and insensitive to truly the greatest need that are outside the walls of this building. You know, within the time that we spend here in this church, during this service today, you know, did you know over 100 people will, will die? Over 100 people will die. 95 of them will go to hell, and 11 of them will go to heaven, according to statistics. The Bible says death and hell enlarges itself every single day. And so a truly dedicated person experience a burden from God and genuine brokenness, and then brokenness leads to compassion. Listen to this. Brokenness softens the heart and makes us sensitive and responsive to God. The word sensitive means to have the capacity of being aware of the needs and emotions of others. Does that describe you? Do you carry that kind of heart? When you walk outside this building, when you go to the store, you go to work or you walk out and you see people in just a horrible, horrible condition, are you sensitive to them? Are you sensitive to God? How many of you know when when God God might just prod you a little bit? You know, he'll say, now go over and talk to that person. Or, you know, go over there and give that person some money, you know. And and the Holy Spirit just kind of gives you a nudge. And you know what? In the beginning, we're glad to do that. But over the process of time, we become more calloused and calloused. And we become insensitive and apathetic. And we lose that genuine burden and concern and compassion for other people. Now, here's the third thing. A dedicated person is a committed person. The word consecrate means to set apart for a specific pur- a purpose. And until we move, now listen, here's, here's, here's where it starts at. Until we move from being comfortable to concerned and then to consecrated, we will never truly make the commitment God is asking of us. I wonder how many of you are truly committed to what God's called you to do? How many of you are truly committed to the vision that God has given this church? How many of you are truly concerned about those who are suffering in addiction, who have? Broken lives, who, who, who are dying, who are, who are destitute, who, who have lost everything. How many of you, honestly, you carry a fresh burden in your heart? A dedicated person, he, he comes and he says, you know what? I, I cannot be comfortable anymore because I am aware that there's a need out here that God wants me to respond to. And so when God places a burden upon you, you become concerned. And once you get concerned, that burden weighs upon you till it comes to a place of brokenness. And until you are broken, you will never consecrate yourself and set yourself apart to the work that God's called you to. And if you will not set yourself apart to the work he's called you to, you will never fully commit to what he's asking you to do. Concern is more than talk. If all you do is talk about being concerned, you are not really concerned. Anything you are concerned about, you'll be working to change. And as long as we are uninvolved, we are unconcerned because the only real measurement of commitment is action. That's shouting ground right there, I know. So if all you do is talk, then you need to stop saying you're really concerned. If all you do is have a conversation about how horrible the world is, or, you know, if, or, or how bad the community is in, and what, what bad shape that, that families are in, what, you know, what, what, I'm concerned about these things. We say that all the time. But listen, cons- being concerned is measured by commitment. You pay for it with your life. So there's people here today, you know what? You're in, you're in the comfortable place. You're comfortable with the way things are. You're comfortable coming to church one time a week. You're comfortable just you know, giving a, a tithe or a tip to God. You're, you're comfortable, and, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're excited about coming just as long as God doesn't require you to do something with what he's given you. So there's people that are comfortable. And then there's those of you that are, that are concerned and what I mean by that is that God's placing a burden on your heart, but you don't necessarily know what, what he wants you to do with this burden. But God wants to bring you to a place where you don't just have a burden, but you're broken by the, by the burden that God places upon you for others. And then there's those of you that are in the place where you're, you're consecrated. You're set apart. You're saying, God, I'm all in. You know, it's one thing to say, God, I give you everything. It's another thing when he comes and takes it. Those are very good words to sing and very good prayers to pray until he actually does that. But most of the time we pray, but we don't pray in such a way that that we're really expecting God to answer it, are we? we, I mean, we're, we're praying, but we're thinking, you know what, I'll pray somebody else will go do that. And so God wants to bring us from the place of being comfortable to the place of being concerned, to consecrated, and to a place of commitment. And so those are three characteristics of a dedicated person. Now let me give you three things here about what produces dream work. See, listen, teamwork makes a dream work. Teamwork makes a dream work. The Bible says that two are better than one. You know what Rick says. He says, two heads are better than one, even if both of them are empty. Two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their labor. Listen, the reason God gives us a vision as a church is so that we can come together for a common purpose and goal. And so God says, you know what, I want to use you, I want to give you a vision, I want to give you a, a purpose and a goal, and I want you to make an impact and a difference in the community, and the state, and the places he's called us to minister. And, and so he says, the best way to do that is working together as a team. Two are better than one. Jesus sent his disciples out how many? Two by two, right? God always works in groups of at least two. And so if we're going to accomplish anything of significance, because here's the truth. One is too small a number to accomplish significance. The problem is in church, there's so many people that, that, you know what, they they pursue their own personal kingdom. There's so many people in church, even worse than that, that they think everything revolves around them. You know, they come to church and, and they think that being here is about them feeling good about themselves. You know, they think that Jesus died on the cross to make us a bigger, better version of ourselves. That the gospel is to, you know, is is to simply give you everything that you want without any kind of commitment in return. Listen, salvation will cost you nothing. But the anointing and the ministry and fulfilling the calling will cost you everything. Salvation costs you Nothing. But having a ministry, fulfilling a calling, walking in empowered will cost you everything. So here's three things that produce dream work. Number one, the price must be paid by everyone. If we're going to see this daring faith vision come to pass, every one of you is going to have to pay the price. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't think that I'm trying to uh, get too much out of you. Jesus said that. Jesus said that you are to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. He's the one that is putting the demand on our life. And so to, to see this dream, this daring Fifth dream and vision come to pass, it's going to require every single one of you, not just me, not just Clay, not just Brian, every one of you because God has set the church up in such a way that you have responsibilities and you have something to contribute. You have something that meets a need. And if you don't do that, the whole body suffers in return. Everybody has to pay the price. Everyone must work. Listen, a lot of people think that the word work is a cuss word. Jesus said this. He said, work while it's day. For night will come when no man can work. Jesus said, you know what? The works that I do, you shall do also even greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to the Father. When Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall and people tried to get him come down and, and just kind of get him distracted and doing everything else, he said, I can't come down, I'm doing a great work. Do you understand? What God has called you to do. you understand what God has called this church to do? He's called you to a great work. And many of you have listened to the voice of distraction. And you've allowed yourself to get so consumed with the cares of life that you know what? You come off the wall. You're not committed. Listen, if you're committed to everything, the truth is you're not committed to anything. I mean, there's a lot of people, and listen, this is what it's like. There's a lot of people that would say, I want to do something great for God. Well, doing something great for God begins by, by doing something small for God. Big dreams always precede big achievements. But there's no substitute for work. Work is the price of success. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. That the Bible says that we being many members are one body, but don't have all have the same function. We're many members, we're one body. So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Now listen to this, verse 12. God has placed each member in the body where he desires. In other words, if you are a part... Of a local church, God has a place for you. And somebody else cannot take your place. Somebody else cannot pick up your slack. If you're not doing what God's called you to do, if you're not in the place where God wants you to be, then you know what? The whole team, the whole church, the kingdom suffers as a result. God is setting the church up. I mean, I'll go as far to say this, and I know that there's people that disagree with me, but I don't even believe you get to choose where you go to church at. I I don't believe that. The Bible says in, in Psalms 92, it says that they that are planted in the house of God, not those that accidentally stepped into a church service, it says they that are planted in the house of God shall flourish in his courts. Listen, fruitfulness is the result of you growing where you're planted. And so many people have been so uh, uncommitted for so long, they've never took enough time to grow roots down in the place where God's called them to be planted, and therefore they have a fruitless life. Did you know that 85% of, 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 of church growth in America is transfer growth? Now, I'm ready for some of that. I'll take it all day long. There's a time when I said I don't want to do that. But I'm getting tired. I'm getting old. I'm I'm empty. I'm depleted. Listen, you know, we say things like, oh, we believe that we're at a tipping point. Listen, I don't believe we're at a tipping point. I'm depending on it. I felt, Paul said, I poured out my life like a drink offering. Man, you're looking at an empty person right now. You're looking, to a, looking at an extremely weak person right now. You're looking at an extremely broken person right now. And daring faith isn't something that's just a good idea. Either God's called us to do this, or we need to close up shop and go join somebody else who is believing in the vision that he's given them. So I'm not, I'm not hoping we're at a tipping point. I'm not believing that God's going to do something great. I'm saying I am depending upon it. If God doesn't do something great, I'm not going to make it. I'm not talking about backsliding. I'm not talking about walking away from God. I'm talking about continually, day in, day out, giving everything that I've got. The work God's called us to, me to do. I'm all in. I'm all in. You guys are plan A. I don't have a plan B. But it takes teamwork to make a dream work. And so he says this He says, God set up the church in such a way that he plants you somewhere. If you grow where you're planted, you'll be fruitful. He said he's given us, though we're many members, we're one body, we have different functions, and he's called us to make a contribution. We're being many, we're individual members of one another. He said he's placed each member in the body where he desires and every member where it is needed. Now, this is why it's important here. Look at what this verse says. Ephesians 4, 16 says, Under under his direction, who's he? Jesus. Jesus. The whole body is fitted together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and is full of love. What's he saying? He's saying every single one of you have a part to play. Every single one of you have a contribution to make. every single one of of you have been placed in the body and every one of you are needed in order for the church to become everything he wants it to be. So you've been, listen, you've been called to be fruitful. You've been called to be faithful. You've been called to, to, to function and to fulfill and to do what God's called you to do and when you don't do that, the whole body suffers. Now, you know we have a plethora of children in our home, right? We have, we have a lot of them. But for some reason, our smallest ones tend to think that the whole family revolves around them. You know, that, that, you, know, my, you know, I go home and I put on a badge that says personal assistant. Most of the time, they want food that I bring home. Johnny, he'll come in. I mean, Rachel could fix, you know, a a five-course meal. They could eat steak and lobster, baked potato, whatever it may be. I could bring spam in. He says, Come here, Dad. That's what he did. That's what he did last week. He said, Come here. Sit right here. Sit right here, Dad. He said, For me and for you. But when he has something and I ask him for something, he says, For me, for me. I said, No, for me and for you. He said, No, for me. And for me, he, he thinks the whole family centers around him. It's okay now because he's three. That's not going to fly when he's 20. So many people in the church are no different than Jonah is in our family. You've been in church for 20 years, but you act like a three-year-old. Don't look at your neighbor. (laughs) Now, how do you know if you're part of that three-year-old category when you're not doing anything to contribute to the family? When you're three, it's all, you know, I I don't mind, you know, fixing bottles and changing diapers and all that stuff as long as I don't have to part the mustache to put the nipple in. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Some of you get that a little bit later, but... uh, And in the beginning, God allows a certain degree of immaturity. You know, God doesn't expect a 5-year-old to act 15. But he also doesn't expect a 15-year-old to act 5. Biblically, Paul dealt with the church, you know, in the book of Hebrews. He said, listen, by now you should be on the meat. But it's rare to find people that have a consistent, committed Word life, devotional life, prayer life. Why is it something strange when somebody prays and reads the Bible we think that they're radical? No, that, that's normal. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, we're quick to maybe look at somebody else and say, you know, that person needs to step up, but what about you? In order to go to the next level, to see the dream work, the price has to be paid by everybody. Here's the second thing. This, it gets worse, so I mean, just brace yourself. <laughs> Number two, the price must be paid at all times. The moments when I ex- have experienced breakthrough in my life when I experienced just a little bit of victory in my life, and then I let up just a little bit, I've been sucker punched in the gut by the devil. The moments that I just kind of backed off a little bit, he wore me out. But in order to fulfill the dream, to see that dream work, The price must be paid at all times. Listen, every one of us have to continue to grow. Why? Because the day that you think that you have arrived or achieved or accomplished anything is the day that you have forfeited your potential of what you could be in the future. You know, I mean, I dream to see this church full and there be multiple services. But you know what? If we were having multiple services, but yet there's 40,000 people within driving distance of our church going to hell, can we call ourselves a success? God has to deliver us from a success mentality and give us a significant mentality. Success has ruined more people than failure. Just when you think you got this, you begin to head down. Remember when you used to need God every day and you prayed like it? You see, God intends for us to become more than what we are. But if we become comfortable and complacent with our walk with God, we will lose the necessary momentum to go to the next level. See, listen, daring faith was a good idea. It was a pretty, it was a pretty inspiring thing to look at, would not it? Like wow, this is great, man! I'm all in. I'm, you know, I'm going to get committed. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pledge, and I'm gonna faithfully give. And now it is, you know, a, a little over a month later. Let me ask you, where you at now? The price has to be paid at all times. Listen, time is winding down. They just got through singing and Clay just got through talking about Jesus is coming back soon. But the price has to be paid at all times. Listen, the greater the calling, the greater the sacrifice. I love what the Apostle Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3. He said, The things that I thought were gained for me, I now count as loss. He said, not only do I count the things that I thought was valuable to me be lost. He said, I count all things. Everything I thought was important. Everything that I thought was significant. Everything that I thought was was value. He said, you know what? Every bit of that is nothing. I count it lost. One scripture says, rubbish. He said, I'll give it all up just to know him. Many of us, we we get involved in ministry. We serve as ushers and greeters or we're a part of the worship team or we're in children's ministry. And you know what? Listen, we stop thinking that it's about him and it's more about us and we start to lean on our own strength and on his strength. It's dangerous to learn how to do things. And so we have to continue... Pay the price at all times. Here's the third thing, and I'm about to close. I told you it gets worse. The price increases if we want to go to the next level. Listen, the road to the next level is uphill all the way. And life is like a wheelbarrow. You don't get anywhere in life until you get out start pushing. And when you get saved and, you know, you become a part of a church and a church has a vision and God speaks to you to to become part of that and to to do your part in helping make that happen, then you come to the reality that, hey, this is going to cost me something. And Jesus had some disciples in John chapter 6 that were following him for the wrong reason, and he knew it. You know, it was easy to follow Jesus in the beginning because, you know what, he hadn't went very far yet. He had a few fish fries, and people were like, wow, this is good. My belly's full. I'm going to follow Jesus because of what he, you know, does for me. And and so what happens is, you know, they start following Jesus, and they're there because they have seen him do miracles. Some people come to church as a spectator. And it's the same back 2,000 years ago. They come and they spectate. They come to watch a show. They come to, you know, be, be, be moved by, by some emotional feeling. And they're not going to get involved, you know. But they're going to call themselves a Christian. Right? And so Jesus says, you know what? Here it is. John 6, he says, he who doesn't eat my flesh and drink my blood have no part in me. And you know what the you know what the, the disciple said? That's hardcore, man. Or you? I mean, that's that is way too much. That is you. I can't do that. I gotta work. I gotta have family time. You know, I, I've got listen, I've got stuff I need to do. I gotta mow the yard. I gotta use this bass boat I bought, and you know, I need to go. But he says this, here's here's the thing that gets me. That's what I love about the Bible is it doesn't leave anything out. It just simply just comes at you, good, bad, and ugly. He says to this group of people, he says, you know what? I know the reason you're following me is wrong. He said, I know the motive of your heart. He said, you saw the miracles and you started following me. I filled your stomach and you started following me. He said, but... This is where this level stops, and this is what I'm requiring now. And so Jesus puts a demand on them. And you know what the Bible says? It says, many of his disciples withdrew from him and walked with him no more. He didn't say many of the Sunday morning churchgoers. It specifically talks about disciples. He said they withdrew from him and walked with him no more. They said, you know what? That's too much. Some of you, you're just like that. It's your mentality. It's too much. Now, you know we don't preach condemnation and guilt and browbeat anybody, but the truth is some of you, you've said it's too much. You've allowed yourself to be loved to sleep in a place of comfort and convenience, and you forgot about the sacrifice and commitment he's asking you to make. I know it's hard. But many of his disciples, not a few, many of them. And then you know what? He doesn't try to keep a bunch of people around him. He looks at his 12 and he says, Y'all going to? Listen, Jesus would rather have a few that will follow him all the way to the cross than a multitude that are just in it for themselves. What are you in it for? I tell people, listen, I don't do this for the income. I do it for the outcome. So the price increases if we want to go to the next level. And then go ahead and come to music. You know, in Mark chapter 10, listen to what he says. Then Peter said to him, we have left all. He said, we've left everything. We've not held anything back. Let me ask you something. What have you left behind? What is it that God is saying you need to give up? What is it that he's saying you have to let that go if you're going to follow me to the end? And Jesus says, you know what? No man giving up houses, and property and family and relationships, he said, that will not only receive a hundredfold in this life, but they will receive eternal life in the days, uh, days ahead. And he says this, with persecutions. We want all of this stuff without having to sacrifice anything. But here's the thing if we're not willing to pay the price to win we will all pay the price to lose the only thing that matters right now I want you to look at me is what we do in this moment that God has given us together God has called us to make an eternal Difference for the kingdom of God. And if a temporal sacrifice will produce an eternal reward, give it up. If it's time, if it's entertainment, if it's social media, if it's just whatever, giving that up, if it's going to produce an eternal reward. It's worth it. Now listen to this story. In December of 1777, George Washington and the Revolutionary Army came to Valley Forge, uh, Pennsylvania in the wintertime. And up to this point, this had not been really a successful year for George Washington and his troops. As a matter of fact, they had suffered four losses in one year. But on December 19, 1777, listen, George Washington and 11,000 troops straggled into Valley Forge, Pennsylvania only to face the reality of a bitter winter with minimal shelter from the elements so morale was down they've been experiencing defeat after defeat after defeat many of them are thinking you know what let's just give up it's not worth it forget about it but the conditions were horrible soldiers were so ill-equipped and poorly supplied that when they arrived and they wrote to the Continental Congress, they said 2,898 men were unfit for duty because they were barefoot and they had insufficient clothing for the harsh winter. Listen to this. Things got so bad that men had to stand on their hats and fight off frostbite from their feet. And by February 1st, 1778, only 5,000 men were available for service. But instead of giving up, they counted the cost and they were willing to pay the price. Not only did they stay, they went on to win and to ultimately secure the independence and freedom of our newly formed nation. All of us that live in the United States today should be very grateful for the price that these men decided to pay more than 200 years ago. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were them, or you just put yourself in their shoes, would you want to stay? Things haven't been going good for over a year You're freezing to death You don't have enough supplies to even fight back Your army is shrinking It's it's, 50% It's fewer than 50% than it was just a few months ago And I would say they probably wanted just to go home and forget about the fight for freedom But if they did the cost would be high. The price we pay for losing is far greater than the price that we pay for winning. That battle was fought fought over the soul of this nation. The battle that you and I are fighting today are over the souls of men. It's over the souls of your family members. It's over the souls of your friends. It's over the souls of your community. It's over the souls of your city. It's over the souls of your county. It's over the souls of your state. Listen, that's it. Listen, it will cost too much to give up now. And some of you, maybe you feel like giving up. Let me tell you something. The price you pay for losing will be far greater than the price you pay for winning. And I know some of you, you've been praying and praying and praying, waiting for God to do something. I know exactly what that feels like. But I refuse to give up. I refuse to surrender. I refuse to throw in the towel. I refuse to give myself for something less than for what he did for me on the cross. Some of you, you've already given up. In the back of your mind, you've settled into a place of comfort, a place of convenience, a place where you can just kind of blend in with the crowd and just kind of go through the motions. You've accepted the status quo. And God's saying, listen, I called you for something far greater than that. I saved you. And I called you with a holy calling. He said, I've ordained you that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. He says, Go make disciples of all nations. He says, Go everywhere, preach the gospel to every creature. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. That's why I get on planes and fly. Because he's given us nations. I read that and I take it personally. Two simple letters, one word, go radically change my life. But you don't have to cross the sea to become a missionary. All you need to do is see the cross. The cross makes every one of you missionaries. God had one son, and that one son was a missionary. And a physician. That's what he's called you and I to be. Stand with me. Right now, there's over 5 million people, or 5 billion people globally, that are lost and on their way to hell right now. 5 billion. That number of people, if you were to draw, uh, draw a line around the circumference of the earth, if you were to line them up on the weak equator, five million people lined up front, back, front, back, will circle the world 40 times. That's how many lost people are out there. So much so that we could circle the world 40 times 40 times and now you see what Jesus done on, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son God demonstrated his love for us to while we were yet sinners Christ died a concerned person Has a God-given burden, that God-given burden produces brokenness. Brokenness leads us to consecration and commitment. But if we're not broken, we definitely will not commit. How do you know if you're broken? When you're broken, you will stop resisting God. There's areas in your life right now that God is saying, you're in the comfort zone there, you need to get out. You're in a place, you've become used to this, you need to get out. I've called you to this. I've called you to go to the jail. I've called you to go to the prison. I've called you to go to the nursing home. I've called you to go to the ends of the earth. I've called you to join a small group. I've called you to do a service project. I've called you to go to the highways and the byways. I've called you to do this, and you're comfortable. There's a term that's called home blindness. And home blindness is when you walk into your house and for the first time you see there's a picture on the wall, and that picture is crooked. You walk in, you see it, it's crooked. But if you don't fix that picture that's crooked, if you go day after day, for 21 days, after 21 days, that picture will start looking crooked, will start looking straight instead of crooked. And the same is true about us if we stop looking at the cross and stop seeing the crookedness in our own life and the crookedness that's in the world pretty soon we'll just simply say this is normal it's always been this way nothing's ever going to change it's because we've refused to change Father today shared my heart there's nothing that I can do to change anybody here but you can one moment with you can change everything and I ask you Lord Holy Spirit walk up and down the aisles of this building visit each person sitting in each row and begin to reveal to us all those places where we become comfortable maybe you're here this morning and somebody's invited you to church but you're lost you don't have a hundred percent assurance that things are right between you and God but people keep inviting you and you've finally given in but yet God's dealing with you but you're fighting against God You're resisting God. I'm telling you, brother. I'm telling you, sister. If you lose that battle, you will lose your soul for eternity. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You can't keep procrastinating forever. You can't keep putting it off forever. You can't stop being indifferent forever if he's dealing with you. He says, if you hear my voice pardon not your heart. How many would say, you know what, just uplifting every hand, that I'm lost, God's speaking to me. I don't have 100% assurance that things are right between me and God. On the count of three, just shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. I'm not coming out there at you. I'm just saying if God's dealing with you, you need to get some perspective. On the count of three, one, two, three. Say So that's me. It's me. How many would say, you know what? God's been exposing my heart that there's areas in my life that I've become so comfortable with that I begin to take for granted my commitment to Jesus. And He's calling you out of that comfort zone. Shoot your hand up and say, That's me. That's me. As they sing and as they play, by all means, find you a place to pray. How can we say we're concerned about the world? How can we say we're concerned about our family? How can we say we're concerned about the lost when we don't have eyes that are watering with the burden that has broken our hearts by God? As they sing and as they play, I invite you to this altar.